your hosts have earned a reputation as fierce and effective advocates inside and outside of the courtroom. Both partners are experienced trial attorneys who have been board certified in family law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization. Hey everyone, I'm Brian Walters. Welcome to the Better, Worse, or Divorce podcast. I'm here with a very special guest client, hopefully soon to be a former client forever, nothing personal, and somebody who's really kind of become a friend as well. Unfortunately, you probably don't want to be friends with your divorce or custody lawyer, but if you spend as much time as we have together and you're, it's for a good cause and all that other type of stuff, then uh, sometimes that happens. So Patrick, you want to just tell us a, just a real little bit about yourself, uh, just so everybody knows, Patrick's been in our office from October 2014 when he first hired us, and that first case took almost two years to resolve itself. Then there was a three-year break, and then he was unfortunately back, and that case is still open. Been about two years, but that's also just about to close up. So that's a little bit of background of, of him as a client, and he still has a minor child. And so we're going to keep some names out of it, some details out of this because it's you know this is public, and we wouldn't want his son to hear that. It's just not appropriate. Something when he's older, he can talk to his parents about. But yeah, give us a. a bit of background on yourself and um, and then we'll kind of go from there. Well, originally I was, I'm from Louisiana and then uh, I was there, I guess, six years and then we moved to Houston, Texas. My dad was in the uh, board for Gulf War. We ended up living in England for 10 years because we, he got moved to London. Originally, we're only supposed to be in London for two years, but I spent 10 years of my life in London and I moved back from London uh, when my dad retired and moved back to Houston. I went to Baylor University for my undergrad, and then uh, I went on to the University of North Texas to get my MBA. That's a, kind of a, my background for college. When I met you, I was working for Nippon Steel Trading, Japanese trading company, back in 2014. It was my second year. Well, that sounds like a about as typical of a Houston background as I can imagine. It's uh... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. You know, the oil industry moving here from out of state, all that stuff sounds real typical. So as a childhood. Okay, well, so you know, you have a child, you have a son, and he's how old now? He's 14 now. Okay, so when you first hired me in uh, October of 2014, he would have been, you know, seven plus years ago. Correct. And you and the mom were together for a little while, but not married to each other. That's correct. And what was going on with you and the mom that brought you to my office, just generally? In 2014, starting in August, she had kept him away from me for three months. And then she had filed contempt charges against me, 39. So I needed a family attorney to help me out. And I hadn't seen him. She wouldn't let me see him from August through November. Okay. And, you know, to make a very long story short, we ended up, going into court, getting your, your visitation restored. The court chose to appoint the Domestic Relations Office of Harris County, Houston, that's Houston, to do an, a social study, basically a home study, kind of a, an investigation of both of you, your households. That came back, and then we ended up going to a two-day trial in the summer of 2016, where ultimately, this is a public record, uh, you ended up winning custody, and in fact, her visitation was uh, severely restricted, correct? That's correct. So I think uh, something I get asked a lot is, you know, what what is it like to be in 
family law litigation. How would you describe that experience? Let's talk about the first case to start with. Well, the first case I was, you know, I'd never been in that position before. I was extremely worried, very concerned about it. Plus, I hadn't seen my kid in three months. I wasn't able to pick him up. She was the custodial parent. I was the non-custodial. She had that power over me. So, I mean, it's a very frightening situation when you can't see your child and then you're being brought to court and have all these charges against you. The other person is trying to get sole custody and putting, she's trying to put me on supervised visitation. It's just, it's crazy. Just, so I needed an attorney and I remember walking into your office, I'd visit with other attorneys and I just had a really good feeling about you, Brian. You have a very good personality. You're very easy to talk to. That's why I signed up with you. It's just a, I needed an attorney and I definitely needed a good attorney. I like the fact that you graduated from the University of Texas. So it's a pretty good law school. <laughs> it is and inexpensive, at least when I went. It was real cheap, which was really important for you know a kid like me, not trying to just... <laughs> trying to make ends meet and get by. So I certainly enjoyed my time there. Well, so do you remember the first time going to court and what, what that was like to step into a courtroom and to get onto a stand and testify? Can you tell us what that was like? I, I always see it from the lawyer's end of things, right? But how was it to be in your shoes? Well, you don't know what's going to happen. Definitely is makes a person nervous, but I felt very confident with you going into the hearing. It was the first hearing for a long, drawn out case. You did what you needed to be done. I, mean, I got my visitation back, which is the most important part. And then we had to start addressing the issues and the motion that she filed. But yeah, the first, I remember that. It was the first hearing we, I think you had another associate to help us. He was also attending. But, uh, you definitely have to have a good attorney by your side, someone who knows who they're, what they're doing. I was very nervous about it. I'm just glad you got my visitation restored during the temporary Right. So that was kind of step one was to get you back to normal. And then step two was to go in and switch things around to put you in charge. So that was a two day trial, I recall, in front of uh, Judge Schmoody was the judge at that time. And again, I'm, I'm partly curious. I know on my end as a lawyer, I get exhausted when I go to court. It's feel, I feel I tell my wife, I feel like it's, you know, like two hours of uh, like if I go to court for eight hours, I feel like I've been somewhere working for 16 hours. It's like two to one. It's just, and I want to come home and just kind of take a nap. What is it like for you? As I would assume it's probably a similar experience, but you tell me. It is similar. I mean, you, you're so nervous and you don't know what's going to happen. That I guess it's the adrenaline and then going into the courtroom and actually going through the whole process. It's the first time I was in family court. I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I'm already super upset about what's going on and not seeing my son for three months. And then you go into the hearing and it's a two-day hearing. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. And I've got these 39 contempt charges against me. So it's, you know, there's a lot of worry and you don't know what the outcome is going to be. What I wanted to bring up is something that is part of being going to trial, especially in family law the first time, is I remember when I hired you, I started sending you all kinds of evidence and documents and stuff, proof of what she was doing. And, I think that comes out of the nervousness and wanting to be prepared for court. And I think I overprepared or, or tried to give you guys so much evidence, you know, that I wasn't doing anything wrong or, you know, what was going on in, with the situation. But I think we didn't use 90% or 95% of all the evidence I gave you over the two years. So it, 
it's not on, only just in court that you're, you know, worrying about everything. It's also in your personal life, you know, and uh, going over all the texts and emails and messages and trying to give your lawyer as much information as possible. You can't use all that information in court. That's the other frustrating part about going to these hearings. I agree. I There's a picture behind me, a big, big picture on the wall. And, and if this is an analogy I always use is if that picture is kind of all the things that have happened in your life as it relates to your child, and you put a little postage stamp in the corner there, that postage stamp is what gets in front of the judge. It's just the, you know, our rules of evidence and procedure are designed to just get the key things in front of that judge. And that's that's a little hard sometimes, right? Because we don't know where the judge is a human being like me and you and has got their own life experiences and, and prior cases they've heard that are sort of ring a bell or personal experiences. And you're trying to think about what would what of those things would be most persuasive to that person, because that's really what we're trying to do is persuade the judge to see things our way. And you you had a type of hearing that had, you know, one outcome, you know, was 180 degrees from the other. A lot of hearings or trials we go to, we kind of know, you know, they're going to fall within a pretty narrow range. And we're going to, we're arguing about a couple of days of visitation here and there, or a couple of percentage points on a property division or something. But yours was just you know, anywhere from you having no visitation, which is what she wanted to, you know, her being restricted, which is what we wanted and ultimately occurred. It's just a completely wild outcome either way. And sometimes, you know, judges do their own thing and decide they're going to come up with a third option that, that nobody thought of or posed. So, yeah, those are stressful hearings for lawyers, too. But of course, it's a lot more for the for the parent because they're that's the that's where the real real one is. OK, so the second part of this because I when that ended I I would have still recognized your name or your voice if you had you know walked into my office today and said hey what's up Brian I would have said oh I remember Patrick from five years ago when that case ended and but sure enough three years after that so almost two years ago now you were back in my office with a very serious situation enough time had passed interestingly that we had a new judge in that particular same courtroom but Travis County has elections every four years, and sometimes family law judges or have the wrong letter R or D after their name in a year that is not good for R's or D's or vice versa, and they switch them out. And we had a new judge, and but kind of the same old problem. Mom bringing allegations against you, you know, and trying to once again completely halt your access to your son, who you had custody and been living with you for three years by that point. So what was that like to get served with papers? I think you were, there were also some criminal proceedings against you, which were eventually dismissed. So what, what was that whole mess like? Uh, it was a nightmare. I mean, it's like the movie Girl, Gone Girl, Ben Affleck almost. I mean, you know, I, you, you won primary custody for me back in July 1st of 2016. And everything was falling. And then, you know, my son's playing on, with his friends on the weekend on a mountain bike. Goes to his mom's for Easter, the weekend of Easter. And the next thing I know, the following that weekend, I get the police contact me. I start having, I have a warrant out for my arrest for child endangerment. So she used bruises to try to file criminal charges against me. And it was all a scheme. So, I mean, that was the first part. And you helped me. I mean, I went to the school to try to pick up my, my child, and he wouldn't come down. To the principal's office. I mean, I, I still have, so I've got criminal charges and I'm trying to get my son back after the Easter weekend and he's not going with me. And then my mom went up there, his grandmother, to the 
and be able to build a scramble. And I remember you helped me out, kind of pro bono, just because of our friendship and how long you know, we worked together. And I'll never forget that. But anyway, so he was away from me April, May, June, and I thought she was going to give him back to me in July. She ended up filing the family court in July, asking for sole custody based on the fact that I had criminal charges against me. So you know, I'm, I'm in two courts now. Right. So I had to get involved at that point, and we had a hearing um, in, you know, right around the beginning of school, so early September. And then we ended up going back to court a couple of times as more information came out, and ultimately back to trial, and ultimately your son's back with you, correct? Correct. I had to do parental reunification, and then I was given back expanded visitation. And then we had the final hearing. I got back my primary custody like I had in 2016. Right. And so, and here we are. So now you have a kid in his mid-teens and um, we're about to wrap up this last, some paperwork on the case. And um, we hope we never have to work together again. (laughs) Hope he can hit age 18 without any more court things. So let me ask you some broad questions because I think you covered a, a lot of it, but one of the big questions I get asked all the time, especially by dads, is, you know, am I going to be treated fairly and equally as a dad in court, or am I going to, is there kind of a bias toward um, toward moms? I know the law says there's not to be any bias or consideration. What are What is your experience with that? Well, I think going into this back in 2014, I had that same fear that they would always side with the mother. She already had primary custody, I was secondary. And but that wasn't the situation in 2016 because we did that social study and I think that's a key, I mean very, very important. And I'm glad you suggested that because that allows the DRO to get involved and they can go in and assess what kind of parents each individual is. And I think that really saved me. I think the DR, DRO has a very I think the judges look at the opinions of the DRO, domestic relations office, and you know, on those social studies, and they take into consideration what they, their conclusions are, their assessments. And it was apparent that I was a very good parent, and that my son would have been better off living with me. In fact, we had temporary emergency orders once that DRO report came out on the social studies because of concerns and other. So that really change my perspective on whether or not fathers don't have any rights. I think we do. It's all, all about who's, I guess, more mentally healthy to take care of the child. And that plays a big aspect in, in the judge's decision. I agree with you. I mean, I've been doing this 25 years, and I think when I started 25 years ago, in the end, I had the good fortune to start practicing in, in Austin with Travis County. And, and it, I think they've always been very much at the forefront of being super fair with fathers. and But I remember going to the rural counties, some um, out around Austin or wherever, and it being a little different. I think they they wanted the dads to be involved, but I think it was a little hard for some of these old-time judges. And this would have been in the 90s and early 2000s. You know, these are probably folks who had been you know, born in the 40s, you know, grew up in the 50s. I think it was a little hard for them to really believe that dads regularly or normally should should have custody if they were the better parent. And I think that was especially true with younger kids and especially true with maybe with girls. I've even had judges tell me those things, but that was a long time ago. And I've found that, you know, in the big cities, that's 
been real fair, certainly as in both of the judges you had in Houston were are were very fair people and were very even handed. Um, so I think I think dads can feel pretty comfortable about that. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to have the same outcome you did, but because it's in some ways, and this is typical, you know, if the other person can be their own worst enemy, the other parent can be their own worst enemy and, um, and really overdo things and say and do things and make accusations that may be short-term beneficial to them, but aren't going to age well because they're not true. And ultimately, judges really, really don't appreciate that. Our, our legal system is basically based on the concept that people are going to be honest. And it has to be because we don't have a way to tell for sure we don't have a, a live uh, lie detector hooked up to them, right? That does, I think that'd work anyway, but we don't do that. And so, you know, if if the judges feel like you know, one person, one of the parents is being dishonest about one thing, and it could even be something relatively minor, then why would we believe they're telling the truth about other things? And and that's the problem with liars, is that it's difficult to keep your lies straight. And and that's kind of the, the way cross-examination in courts work, is that you're really trying to get the, uh, to harm the other person's credibility. So the judge does disregards the other things they say. And that's a nice thing about a client like you. You're just always honest. You wanted to be a good dad. And unfortunately you had a child with a person who didn't have the same priorities you did. Not a mind reader, but you were certainly a really great father. So let's just wrap up by telling me uh, how things are going with your son now and um, you know, what you guys have planned and uh, you know what you guys are going to be doing this weekend, for example. Uh, my son's doing great. He's uh, almost as tall as me. He's in ninth grade now. He's uh, 14. He turned 14 in August. He's, it's amazing. He's turning into a really good-looking you know, man. He's uh, almost 5 foot 11, I think, if not 6 foot. So he's going to be passing me up soon. But he's having the best year he's ever had. So he posted with his friends on social media. His goal this year is to make all A's and get better at golf, have fun with his friends. He has a good time on the weekends. So, you know, we, he's, I'm glad he's happy. He's been through a lot of, a lot of bad experiences with all of the court. And it's, it's hard to see the kids involved in stuff like that. But I'm just pleased that you've gotten back to It is. And, you know, I'm normally encourage people parents settle, try to settle your differences, you know, work, work something out that works for both of you. Try to, you know, move on with the disappointments you have with each other and put the kid first. And, and I think a lot of parents are capable of doing that, but it takes two. And sometimes neither one of them will. Those are absolute nightmares, but you fall in the more common category of, you know, one parent who's willing to be a parent and wants to co-parent and the other parent doesn't. And um, it's real unfortunate when that happens. And sometimes you just can't agree on things and you can't split the difference when somebody's going to just come to you and say, I don't want you to see your kid again. Why don't you split the difference with me? <laughs> you can see him once a month, right? You just can't agree to that. You don't have any choice but to go to court. So I couldn't work with her. I mean, I couldn't co-parent because she just uses the child as a weapon and never want to be in that position. Yeah. And and I'm really glad your son has is, is managed to you know come out on the other side uh, okay and uh, thriving and flourishing. I'm, I'm sure that's... Uh, testament to his dad. So, all right, well, I will wrap us up. We're about at 25 minutes, about typical podcast, but thank you for coming on and sharing your experiences with being a litigant, being a dad in our court system, um, and being on the receiving end of two, you know, really unfortunate custody cases, not just one, but two. And, you know, being a gentleman, being a friend and uh, being a all around good, good person on top of it. So I appreciate it. And thank you for coming in. Well, thank you for having me as a guest. Uh, it's a pleasure.
You bet. All right. Bye. For information about the topics covered in today's episode and more, you can visit our website at waltersgilbreth.com. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of For Better, Worse, or Divorce, where we post new episodes every first and third Wednesday. Do you have a topic you want discussed or a question for our hosts? Email us at podcast at waltersgilbreth.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time.